Yesterday, I shared the time I was patient zero in a meningitis outbreak in Conroe, Texas. Today, you get to hear when I was patient zero at Canica Camp. That's right, I've been patient zero twice in Branson, Missouri. It involves uh, the first time I ever kissed a girl that I wasn't dating. And then, uh, it only happens as it can happen to me. So, that's the bummer. I gotta plug in my microphone. <laughs> totally forgot. So I'm probably gonna start that whole intro over. This is what's fun about live, is you get to see all the goofy mistakes I make. There we go. Now I have the new microphone plugged into the iPhone. Sorry about that. So, let's start over. Yesterday I shared the time I was patient zero in a meningitis outbreak in Conroe, Texas. Today you get to hear when I was patient zero yet again at Canicut Camp in Branson, Missouri. It involves the first time I ever kissed a girl that I wasn't dating. And then all blank broke out. So it's the story of my life. Uh, I got some, I got a pretty fun family tip today, another game that I'm going to recommend, and then a new game that I've invented that I'm quite proud of. So I think you're going to like that as well. Before we get totally going, uh, remember you can build a better life. We have virtual intensives now where you can do a virtual intensive over video conferencing or phone, if that's easier for you, for three hours, one day, two day, or three days. And you save a lot of money, actually, uh, compared to what it costs to see us in person at any one of our eight locations. So check that out, the new Smalley Virtual Intensive. You can find more info at smalleyinstitute.com. You can also, while you're at the website, you can check out many of our free online courses that are very powerful. We have paid courses that have tons of video and workbook and discussion questions. You can use them as a small group. And then consider booking the Comedy of Love. So that's my comedy show. I will come to your church, corporation, and as I've said, even your family. So maybe, you know, I am coronavirus-free so far, as far as I'm aware. And uh, I will entertain your children as you are bored. And your kids are inevitably bored. So here we go. Real or messed up quarantine family fun tips. Here's the first one. So I got two today. <clears throat> the first one is called, it's a game. Actually, it's another card game. So yesterday I talked about Unstable Unicorns, which my family just absolutely loves. Today is another one we love. And if you haven't heard of it, you got to get it. It's called Exploding Kittens. That's right, Exploding Kittens. So here's the description from the game. You put the cards on the table and take turns drawing from them. So it's not overly complicated uh, how you play Exploding Kittens. If you draw an Exploding Kitten card, you explode. When you explode, you die and you're out of the game. Unless you play a Diffuse card, which will stop the kitten from exploding using things like laser pointers, kitten yoga, and catnip sandwiches. So it's very funny, it's super exciting, and it's, you know, because every turn you have to draw and you're terrified that you're gonna draw one of the exploding kittens, and if you don't have a diffuse card, you know, you're out. So you, you guys can actually have hours of fun playing that game. And one of the things that stood out to me 
is Exploding Kittens, the folks that created it, started as a um, Kickstarter campaign, and their goal was to raise $10,000. They ended up raising $8.7 million on Kickstarter for this game. $8.7 million. Why can I not come up with a, an idea like that? <gasps> Maybe I have. So here's my game idea. My game is based on my family system. <laughs> so my game is called Passive Aggressive Pugs. Yeah, there'll be an adorable pug picture. Only if I raise at least three and a half million dollars. So I'm going to start with a Kickstarter campaign. That's my goal, three and a half million. Why not? Shoot high. But the game is simple. All the cards in the box are actually blank, and it comes with a little, like several, five or six maybe, depending on how much money I raise, uh, like erasable markers. And the cards are blank. You get to fill in the cards with complaints about your spouse, children, parents, siblings, or friends. The goal is to get your loved ones to discover the different ways they frustrate you. But make sure, and don't be overly blunt, that's why it's called passive-aggressive pugs, because if the other player realizes the complaint is about them, you explode, literally. So there's a lot of, there's high stakes involved in my game. Violence, death, passive-aggressiveness. I think it'll be a lot of fun. So that's... uh <laughs> there's your real or messed up quarantine family fun tips for the day. I don't know which one you can tell is messed up. Exploding kittens or passive aggressive bugs. Take your guess. So now for story time. All right. So I was actually on the phone the other day with my dear friend, Dr. Peter Bigler, who is also my family doctor, who put me in a uh, home quarantine a week before the state of Texas issued, like, the you need to stay at home. Uh, order. And so I'm like, I'm on uh, near the end of week two, I think already for myself. So yeah, very bored. But he reminded me because he's been watching some of these Facebook lives where I'm sharing stories. And he asked if I had shared the story about him. And I have not yet. So this is yet just another way to show you what a moron I am. But Peter and I, he owns a ranch farm, kind of, well, ranch, Outside of Houston, probably, I think it's like an hour and a half north of, like, it's kind of by Buffalo, Texas. And he and I went uh, one weekend. We spent one night in a trailer on the ranch because he didn't have anywhere else to stay. And it was freezing cold that night, I remember, because the heater wasn't working. And anyways, we went out to hunt hogs. That's kind of a cool thing you can do here in Texas. And hogs are disastrous. So they just tear up properties and ranches because they're always, you know, like burrowing with their noses to find food. So we went out hunting hogs and, and he had the rifles. So we're walking through like this ravine, right? And we're like shoulder to shoulder. I'm standing on his left, right? So I'm on this side and he's, and we're like, you know, it's, there's a lot of brush and it was hard going and we're going and I'm holding my rifle. And of course, because I'm ADD and I don't think anything through ever, I'm holding the rifle in a way where it's literally pointed at him. And so he looks, he's like, dude, you're pointing the rifle at me. Like, be careful, be thoughtful, which he's saying to me a lot. And I went, so embarrassing. And I was like, oh my gosh, calm down, dude. The safety's on while still pointing it, not like obviously right at him, but like maybe two feet in front of him. 
I go, the safety's on, and I pull the trigger, and it fires. I literally go, the safety's on, dude. And I mean, like, we both went pale, right? Because I literally almost shot my doctor trying to prove that the safety was on, which it wasn't. I got confused between the red. I thought if the red was showing that that meant the safety was on, but that actually meant, no, that's ready to shoot, which I'm just going to blame the gun manufacturers. It's really not my fault. I'm a victim here. So I and almost shot my doctor. Yeah, that actually happened. And sadly, that's not the only time I almost killed someone with a gun. In South Africa, I took my daughter and her best friend, Emily, to, to, on a mission trip, and at one point, one of our one of my friends there, because I've been traveling there forever, uh, took us on a hunting trip. So we're hunting in South Africa. It was amazing, and we're going through the bush in South Africa. And I got my rifle, and Emily was just terrified. So the whole time, just being in Africa terrified her. So she was always like right on my hip, and it was a little bit annoying. So <clears throat> we're walking, and I don't realize she's standing like literally within inches right behind my right shoulder, again, I think the, the moral of these stories is that I definitely don't want to go hunting with me and have me on your on your left side. So we're walking and I have my gun. I go, hey, and I turn around and I hit Emily right in the head with the tip of the barrel of the rifle and I hit her so hard it actually bled. Yeah, so I am clearly not the safest person to go hunting with. Amazingly, I've never shot myself, which is kind of a shocker. So those are my two uh, nearly shooting people to death things. But today, today, so yesterday I shared the story of when um, I was patient zero for a meningitis outbreak in Conroe, Texas. They shut down the school. It was a total disaster. I think three people died, and I was literally patient zero. I brought meningitis back home from India and the hospital, Conroe Regional, totally missed my symptoms and kept me in their lobby for four hours with meningitis. So I got a bunch of other sick people sick with meningitis, spent, I think, five, six days in the hospital, many of those in isolation, which is a terrifying thing. But that was actually not my first outbreak that I caused. The first outbreak I caused was while I was in college. And I believe it was the end of my junior year at Baylor University, and I used to go, I'm a climber, so I used to climb all over the country. I've climbed all over the world, and I used to be a soloist or a free climber, so I didn't use ropes, but I would take groups of students climbing, and I had gotten to know this girl from the University of Texas, so she was friends with one of my friends at Baylor, and when we'd go climb in Fredericksburg, Texas, she used to like to come with us, so I'd kind of gotten to know her. I mean, we were friends. But obviously, we're at two different schools. So it's the end of the year, my junior year. And there was, and, and the night before I was leaving for Canicut Camp, which is an amazing Christian sports camp in Branson, Missouri. And they've got like seven camps, six camps, something like that. But the main camp is K-1 in, in Branson. That's where I grew up. I was a camper there for 10 years and a counselor, I think, for four. So the night before, I'm leaving for Uncle Week is what they called it. So that's where they would kind of pick leaders and stuff from the counselors from the previous year and uncle week was kind of a really special time where just a select few uh, guys and girl counselors would come and we'd kind of get started on the cleanup and getting things ready for summer then all the counselors would come uh, later uh, a week later and so I'm getting ready for uncle's week but the night before I left there was this huge bonfire party at uh, on Lake Waco and I went 
because I like partying. And I wasn't drinking or anything, but I just like to party. And so I'm there and having fun. Well, that girl from Austin somehow was up in Waco visiting her friend and they were at the party. And for the first time in my life, like you don't understand, I was a virgin when I got married. And I usually describe it as I was an extra olive virgin (laughs) when I got married. So I was insanely shy with girls and I just did not push the envelope. I mean, I was a regular guy, so I was definitely horny, but was way too fearful to get involved in any kind of anything close to sex. So uh, my first girlfriend, my first main girlfriend in high school, we dated, I think, close to three years. It took me nine months to kiss that girl. Nine months of dating before I could finally kiss her. My own mother pressured me to kiss her. And I actually gave her my first kiss on my birthday. And my mother was like, dude, you got to make this happen. Like, people have questions. They're wondering about you. I was like, fine. So that was actually a really embarrassing night because we had a great dinner. It was my first time to drive her. She was older than me. And we went out to dinner and had a wonderful evening. And I was terrified the whole time because I knew, like, this is the day. This is my birthday. I got to give her a kiss. So when I dropped her off, when I was dropping her off at her home, we were kind of sitting in the car. And I got out of the car and I went around, opened her door. She's like, you know, she's like going, dude, like, you know, are we ever going to kiss? I mean, at what point are we going to take our relationship after nine months to the next level? So she gets out of the car and we're kind of standing at the front of my car and it's dark. We're in the desert. And she looks at me and she's like, so is there anything else you would like for your birthday? Like anything at all? I mean, she is dropping heavy hands. I'm like, oh, I got to do this. I went, well, so I asked, I went, would it be okay if I gave you a kiss? She's like, absolutely. So I kissed her and was super excited and and so walked her to the to her house and you know said goodbye and thank you. This was a great birthday. And then I went back to my car and because I'm a moron, I had been so nervous about giving her a kiss, I left the car on, the lights were on, and I locked it. So I locked my keys in the car. And I am so pathetic, so passive and timid that I stood out by the car humiliated for 45 minutes until I worked up the nerve to go back to the front door. So 45 minutes later, I'm like, knock, knock, knock. She's like, and she's like, whoa, you're still here? And I went, well, I locked my keys in the car. So that's how smooth I was with the ladies. Uh, So my first girlfriend in college took me three or four months to give her a kiss. So to say the least, I was extremely shy. So to be at a bonfire party the night before I'm going to Canacuck and to like see this girl from Austin, we end up making out. I don't know how. I'm pretty sure she probably <laughs> forced the agenda, but I'd never done that in my entire life. I had never kissed a girl that I wasn't already significantly dating. First time. So I'm like, wow, that was fun. And the next morning, I drive the seven-hour drive to Branson, and I'm in Uncle's Week. And about two or three days into being at Uncle's Week, uh, the office, you know, goes over the intercom like, "Would Michael Smalley, Michael Smalley, there is an emergency. You need to come to the office immediately." I was like, "Whoa, what? What the heck's going on?" Which I'm kind of used to emergencies in my life. So I go hauling to the office. I'm like, "What's up?" They're like, "Hey, there's a doctor from." from Austin, Texas, that said it's an emergency. He has to talk to you immediately. I'm like, oh. 
So he's online, whatever. So I pick up the phone. I'm like, hello, this is Michael. And he's like, is this Michael Smalley? I went, yes, sir. Do you attend Baylor University? Yes, sir. Do you know Natalie so-and-so? I'm like, oh, no. Yes, I do. Now I'm thinking it's her dad. And I'm thinking I'm about to get balled out for making out with his daughter and not being in a relationship with her. I'm like, yes, sir. He goes, have you had intimate contact with Natalie within the last five days? I'm like, oh, my Lord. The one time I make out with a girl that I'm not dating, I get the father, who's a doctor, calling me up, quizzing me. He's about to ball me out. And I'm like, yes, sir. We kissed a couple nights ago. I'm so sorry. And, you know, I didn't, I don't know how it happened. And I'm like babbling. And the guy's like, dude, I don't really care. The problem is you need to go to the hospital immediately. I was like, why do I need? I'm like, what? What? Just because I made out with a girl that I wasn't dating, now I have to go to the hospital? He's like, yeah, you need to go to the hospital because she's currently dying of bacterial meningitis. I was like, what? He's like, you need to go now. You need to get a spinal tap. You got to blah, blah, blah. We got to make sure that you're not infected because it, uh, and bacterial meningitis is a very very high mortality rate. So the next thing you know, I think it was Chris Cooper was driving me to the hospital and I had to go through the spinal tap and they're doing all these tests on me and ends up negative. So I don't have bacterial meningitis. However, a couple of days after the hospital, I got violently ill. I mean, like major diarrhea, major throw up, high fever. And of course, since I had just previously made out with a girl dying in a hospital, bacterial meningitis, which, by the way, just so you know, she did survive, um, they were extra cautious, right? So they were concerned that I could have it. So they end up quarantining me. Now, my family had a home in those days in Branson that was right, it was like right next to the camp. So the home had a garage that we converted into a little apartment. So we used to let people stay there and blah, blah, blah. It's where I would stay on my night offs and two, four, 24-hour breaks, you know, while I was a counselor. So they quarantined me to that little garage apartment. Well, while quarantined, I was so miserably sick. I mean, it didn't, you know, it would be years later that I actually got meningitis. But so it wasn't that bad, but it was, it definitely felt worse than the flu. And man, I was going to be quarantined. I was quarantined in there for, I think, at least a week. But no one was allowed to come in. No one was allowed to visit me. But then one of my friends, Josh Putnam. Hmm. Josh, I have to thank for many errors and problems at Baylor University. But Josh felt bad. And so he snuck over one night and, and like opened the window. I was sound asleep. So I wake up to like an intruder coming in through the window. He comes in through the window and he's like, bro, I just had to see you. I'm like, what are you doing here? I'm quarantined. You're not allowed to be in here. You're going to get sick. He's like, oh, come on. I'm not going to get sick. Well, I mean, I think within a day or two, Josh got violently ill. And before you know it, the, the, the sickness spread through all of Kanaka, all the camps. At one point at K1, which is like the 6 to six to 12, 6 to 13-year-olds, 7 to 13, um, that's where I was at. So that was ground zero because I was patient zero. Uh, at one point on the boys' side, we had something like 180 boys that were all sick at the same time. 
my my co-counselor at the time was Ty Heinrichs, and we had the little six and seven year olds. So we had the youngest cabin. In one night, we had eight out of ten boys puke in the cabin. Yeah, eight out of ten boys puked in the cabin. So, and and I don't even find out that they're throwing up until like twelve or one in the morning because I'm being tapped on the shoulder, and I'm like, I'm a heavy sleeper. So eventually, the kid got me to wake up, and I'm like. Billy, what are you doing out of bed? He's like, little Johnny's sick. So John, Billy was on the bottom bunk. Johnny was like on the top bunk. And I'm like, what do you mean Johnny's sick? How do you even know? He's like, well, he's throwing up. He goes, he's throwing up? Where is he throwing up? And I'm, now I'm trying to look around in the dark. I go, how do you know he's throwing up? He goes, because it's dripping on me. Yeah, that was nice. So Johnny was puking his brains out, but he was too embarrassed or nervous to get out of his bed and wake one of the counselors up to get help. So he was just throwing up in his bed and there was so much throw up that it was literally leaking down on the kid below him. So I'm like, oh Lord. So I get up, I get little Johnny, I take him to the nurse's station, I come back. Now Billy's throwing up and then another kid starts throwing up and eventually eight out of 10 kids are puking their brains out. There was so much throw up in the cabin that Ty and I literally had to go and get mops. And I used to be a sympathetic puker, right? So I was one of those people, if I heard you throwing up, if I smelled that you were throwing up, I definitely threw up. So Ty and I threw up a little bit that night, but let me tell you, I got over it. So now you can throw up all over me, which has actually happened to me. Yeah, on a Delta Airlines flight, landing in Atlanta, this guy sitting next to me in first class, I'd gotten upgraded. As we're landing, it'd been a bumpy plane ride. As we're landing, the dude just goes, turns, faces me, and throws up all over me. That's my life. One big puke show after another. So I looked at him like, why would you not get a bag? He's like, I'm sorry. I'm like, why would you not throw up at your feet? Why would you turn to look at me? I'm sorry. I didn't know. I didn't know what was happening. I'm like, oh, my Lord. So I had to wait the whole landing because they don't let you up. And yeah, that was disgusting. So that was the big kissing fiasco of when I graduate, 1995, I graduated. So that was a kissing fiasco of 1994 when I caused that. That summer was actually known as the summer of the, the flood because there was a ton of flooding, the funk, which was me, and the fire. That's right. Our entire uh, cafeteria at K1 burned to the ground. Apparently, in the middle of the night, people like firemen or somebody came into our cabin, woke me up, said there's a big fire. You need to make sure your kids are safe. I don't even remember. I don't even remember waking up. Next morning, we had an early meeting. I'm like, why are we waking up so early? And I had this emergency meeting for counselor. I'm like, what are we doing? And they're like, the cafeteria burned down. I'm like, the cafeteria burned down. They're like, dude, did you not hear? There were like 10 fire trucks. People came into your cabin, woke you up. I'm like, no, I have no memory of that stuff. So that was a tough year. Actually, we had to walk from K1 to K Country, which was probably quarter of a mile, half a mile for every meal. And I had these little kids and it was always so hard to get them ready, right? It was like herding wild cats that one one lunch, you know, I get them and, and my counselor was on a 2-4, so it was just me. And I get them all the way to K Country and it's boys and girls all eating together and I'm walk around, get my kids their food and putting it on the table. And one of the little girls comes up to me and goes, um, 
why are you in your underwear? I went, in my underwear? What are you talking about? I looked down. I had forgotten to put clothes on. So I had a shirt on, but I didn't put pants on or shorts. So I'd walked all the way over there in my underwear. Yeah, that was really embarrassing. So there you go. That is hopefully bringing you a little bit of joy on this quarantine time. I just want to remind everybody, uh, as far as I've learned so far, obviously I'm not a medical doctor. I'm just a doctor of the mind. But the number one thing, keep those hands clean and don't touch your face. Of course, I constantly forget to keep my hands clean and use sanitizer and I'm always touching my face. So one of these weeks, you know, now that at least in Texas, the quarantine has been extended to May 4th. This is never going to end. It will end. We just got to stick together. We got to keep in mind that God is in control and our job is to love God and love others. So uh, I saw a news story this morning where a guy trained his dog to deliver things to a neighbor who has, um, oh, she already has a breathing disorder and she's already kind of sick and so she really can't go outside. So his dog actually delivers uh, food and different things to this lady. So just find different ways to help the people in your community, but remain, uh, keep social distancing, wash those hands and do not touch your face. That's an order. So now we're going to go to questions. So let me look here, see if anyone's actually asked a question today. Oh, Mario. Of course, Mario. You're like the only one who ever asked a question. So Mario wants to know, you said I have a tattoo. May we see it? Well, I have a long sleeve shirt on. I can't believe you're going to make me disrobe because I said I'll answer any questions. So I will slightly disrobe here. So it's right here. And this is my version of the Archangel Michael. So that's who I was named after, and it's meant to be a warrior. I'm actually thinking about doing a live uh, webinar here coming up soon. Uh, The working title right now is The Kind Warrior, Um, but it's sort of like men, we're being told not to be men in today's society, and we're constantly being demeaned and mocked and blamed for everything, and I think a lot of guys have sort of lost what it means to be a leader in your community, what it means to be a leader and a man in your home and with your wife and your children. So I kind of want to start bringing us back to here's what it looks like. We need to be a warrior, but we need to be kind, which is why I'm going with the kind warrior. So there you go. Now you guys have all seen my tattoo and all the conservatives are going to now unfriend me, which is okay. Um, what is my all-time favorite movie? All right. And embarrassingly, my all-time favorite, well, no, I'm not embarrassed about my all-time favorite movie. I'm embarrassed that I actually have a, like, 12-inch high (laughs) uh, figurine, not a figurine, like a toy, but it's like a lifelike version, Guardians of the Galaxy. My number one and two movie of all times are Guardians of the Galaxy and Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, and I cannot wait for Volume 3 to come out. So that's my favorite movie. Uh, Marius in South Africa wants to know, when did I get the tattoo? I got the tattoo in September of 2019. So about the middle of September, I actually got it in Phoenix, Arizona with a wonderful tattoo artist who, man, she has an amazing faith story. 
Um, she became a Christian, I believe, either in her late 40s or early 50s, and had lived quite a rough life, um, was a lesbian and living with a girl, and actually it was her twin sister who had been living as a missionary in India for like 25 years that came back to the States finally and, and reconnected with her and led her to the Lord. And so she got saved, and now she leads Bible study for uh, tattoo artists, I think, every Wednesday night at her tattoo parlor. And she did an amazing documentary and started a national club for Christian tattoo artists, because uh, you can imagine in that world, it's hard to be a Christian. So the tattoo experience was actually wonderful for me, and shout out to Mario for that one. All right, Pete Borner, looking forward to The Kind Warrior. All right, there we go. Already got some excitement on it. All right, well, anybody else have any questions for me before I sign off? Doesn't seem like it. Oh, wait, now I'm seeing some. Uh... Mario, at, oh, no, Michael Schatz said, can you be a Christian and have a tattoo? <gasps> no, I am now officially going to hell because I have a tattoo on my body. <laughs> yes, you can definitely be a Christian and have a tattoo. I think we have grossly misinterpreted the scripture verses that people like to pull out that says, you know, whatever. I can't even quote them right now. Um, but remember, my... My view or understanding of sin is anything can be sinful. So could I get a tattoo for the wrong reasons? Could I get a tattoo for sinful things and it be sinning, like putting evil symbols on my body or doing it because I'm so emotionally broken that I just want to feel anything and so I'm getting tattoos because I like the pain? That's obviously not healthy. Uh, so tattoos are not good or evil. Sex is not good or evil. It's both right? Uh, liquor is not good or evil. It can be both. Can you enjoy a glass of wine? Can you enjoy a beer? Sure. But if it gets out of balance, yeah, it's a problem. So my rule is usually anything you're doing, once you start dishonoring somebody with it, so it could be work. So maybe I'm putting too many hours at work and I'm neglecting my family. It could be working out. Maybe I'm working out four or five hours a day and I'm neglecting my children or my wife or what, or God. Um, Anything that gets out of balance in an unhealthy way becomes sin. So we need to relax. You know, we love to pick the things that are goofy, right? You know, we, we hone in on homosexuality. We hone in on smoking or drinking. And it's like, come on, man. The, the far more, the most dangerous thing you can do as a believer is, is dishonor people easily. Because Jesus said, I will know you by how you love others, right? So... If you want to be known on that day, then you need to make sure that you're treating difficult people especially. So the ones that don't deserve your kindness, the ones that don't deserve your peace or your forgiveness, the ones who don't deserve you laying down your life for them or serving them, those are the ones that Jesus pays attention to. How do you treat those people? Not the people that love you well and that are really cool. Like Michael Schatz in Michigan. I know you, Bambi. I hope things are going well there, man. I know you run a retreat center, so stinks for people like us who do live events for a living. Um, yeah, Marius, do you also have a Harley now? No, I don't, but I'm not going to lie. I really want one. So, one day. Maybe if I raise enough money for my 
for my new game, Passive Aggressive Pugs, then I can maybe finally get a Harley. All right, everybody. Well, I'm going to sign off now. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening on the podcast. Uh, keep safe. Keep clean. Wash those hands and avoid your face. <laughs>